All right, so we're going to be studying chapter 11, paragraphs 1 and 2. This is of justification. I'm going to go ahead and read these paragraphs, um, and we'll kind of be all over the place after that, but it'll be hopefully helpful. Uh, chapter 11, paragraph 1. Those whom God effectually calleth, he also freely justifieth, not by infusing righteousness into them, but by pardoning their sins and accounting and accepting their persons as righteous, not for anything wrought in them or done by them, but for Christ's sake alone, nor by imputing faith itself, the act of believing, or any other evangelical obedience to them as their righteousness, but by imputing the obedience and satisfaction of Christ unto them. They receiving and resting on him and his righteousness by faith, which faith they have not of themselves, it is the gift of God. Faith, thus receiving and resting upon Christ and his righteousness, is the alone instrument of justification. Yet is it not alone in the person justified, but is ever accompanied with all other saving graces, and is no dead faith, but worketh by love. So last week we finished our study of effectual calling, and tonight we're beginning what's almost like a, a mini-series within the confession of all the benefits that come with the effectual calling. So uh, what, what happens uh, in, in the doctrine of salvation, as it's recorded in the Westminster Divines, is the Holy Spirit, in your effectual call, works faith in you. And by that faith, unites you to Christ. So union with Christ is the big, is the big category. Union with Christ. And then out of that flow, justification, adoption, which is chapter 12, and sanctification. And the, the reason I'm starting with this is so that you understand that as we work through these, th these three chapters, there is no such thing as a Christian who is justified but not adopted. There is no such thing as a Christian who is justified but not being sanctified. There's no such thing as a Christian who is not being sanctified that isn't also adopted. You're united to Christ by faith, and then you get all of these. You, and actually, one of my favorite questions in the Shorter Catechism lists uh, additional saving graces that accompany or flow from justification, sanctification, and adoption. It's probably my favorite answer in the entire Shorter Catechism. Number 32, what are the benefits that they that do, do they that are effectually uh, called partake of in this life? They that are effectually called in this life do partake of justification, adoption, and sanctification, and the several other benefits which accompany or flow from them. And then 36 says what those are. The benefits which in this life do accompany or flow from justification, adoption, and sanctification are assurance of God's love, peace of conscience, joy in the Holy Ghost, increase of grace, and perseverance therein to the end. All of these belong to you the very moment that you are united to Christ by faith. And so that, that's important because sometimes, and we're going to talk about this a little bit tonight, um, Christians will get the idea that all right, the reason I'm being sanctified is because I'm justified. 
or the reason I'm adopted is because I've been sanctified enough or something like that. That is not the case. None of these are dependent on each other. They all flow from this. Does that make sense? And so we're starting tonight with the first one, not because it comes first, but just get they had to write them in some order, right? So we're starting with justification. Uh, and, and this is a very, very important doctrine for our faith. Uh, Luther would say that this is the doctrine on which the church stands or falls. Justification by faith alone. Um, Augustine says, The justification of the wicked is a greater work than the creation of heaven and earth. Because heaven and earth will pass away. But the salvation and justification of the elect will never pass away. I think Augustine is right on that. And also Luther to say that this is the, the doctrine on which the church stands or falls. That's a big claim, but I, I believe he's correct. Um, I believe he's correct because we are all going to one day stand at the judgment throne of God. The Bible is very clear about that. And so the basis on which you can uh, expect mercy is very important for you to know and understand. And it's got very practical impacts on your day-to-day -day life that we'll see as we work through this. So basically, we're gonna, as we work through these two paragraphs, we're going to do it thematically. So paragraph one goes back and forth on these two themes. It's going to be a little complicated to follow it exactly word for word as it's laid out. So I'm going to separate them out. We're going to talk about what justification is and what justification is not. Those are pretty simple, straightforward headings, what it is and what it's not. Uh, the first uh, thing that justification is, is it's a legal declaration. It's a legal declaration. It's a, it's a verdict, if you will, from the judge. Uh, there's a very uh, real way in which our relationship with God does have a legal aspect to it, a legal component, right? We are supposed to follow what? The law of God. There are legal pronouncements um, that, that the Lord makes. And God has made us and has lordship over us, and therefore he expects us to obey his law. And the, the, the bad news is we have not. We stand guilty and condemned before the judge. So this doctrine of justification, this pronouncement of justification, is the, the Bible's way of saying, how is it that a just judge can pronounce a guilty sinner as justified. And one of the best places to see this in the scripture is in Romans chapter 3, verses 21 to 26. Would somebody please read those for us? Romans 3, 21 to 26. Who's got it? It's page 1053. Uh, Stephen, go ahead. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no deliverance between, there is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and, that are, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time 
so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Yeah. That's um, Romans 3, 21 to 26. And what Paul's arguing there is that God sent Jesus to meet the legal demands of the law. Right? The, the, the law demands death for sin. The wages of sin is death. And the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And so Paul's argument here is the death of Christ Jesus is the means by which the penalty for sin can be justly poured out because he died in our place. We'll talk about that more in a minute. And he can also remain, he can all, because justice has been done, God remains just, and he is also therefore able to pronounce you, who believe in the Lord Jesus, as justified. That is how. That's what it means when it says that he might be both just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So first of all, justification is a legal declaration by God. And this declaration that God makes, it has two parts to it. And one we're going to treat very briefly and one we're going to spend a little bit more time on. The, the one we'll treat briefly, the first part of God's pronouncement and justification on the, those who believe in the Lord Jesus is not guilty. Pardoned of their sins is the language the confession uses. Uh, this is um, Sins are forgiven in this act of justification. Particularly, uh, the penalty for sin is done away with. You are saved from the penalty of sin. That is, you are saved from death because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Notice again, we're talking about penalties. We're talking about fines. We're talking about these kinds of legal terms. The second part of the verdict is that not only are we declared not guilty, but we are declared positively righteous. Pardons their sins and accepts them as righteous in his sight. And I, I lay a lot of stress on this, not because it's more essential than the first part. It's not. But because it's often neglected, right? So one of my duties as, as the assistant pastor of youth and families here is I, um, I help teach the communicants class that I believe all of you have gone through, um, right? You, you, you go uh, with Dr. Mobley and myself. Uh, I didn't teach you guys it because you were a little bit too old by the time I took that over. But uh, we go over the basics of the faith with you. And then we ask you these questions. You know? And I'm also in on all of the new member interviews. And when we ask the question to the young children, we ask it to the adults who join our church. And we say, what has Jesus done that gives you the hope of eternal life? And without fail, and you must at least say this much or we're not going to approve you for membership, he died on the cross for my sins. And that's true, and that's essential, and that's precious. I want to say this very carefully. It's not enough. Jesus dying on the cross is enough to pay for your sins, absolutely. But it's not enough to call you saved or justified. And I've used this, this illustration with you all before, but I think it's helpful. Hear me out. God is a holy God, and he requires perfect holiness. Would somebody please read uh, Leviticus 11.44? Leviticus 11.44. Yeah, 11 verse 44. And then I need somebody else to do 19.2. Uh, Jack, go ahead. 11.44. For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourself, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. 
You shall not defile yourself any swarming things that crawl that crawls on the ground. Right. So the the command is you be holy, why? Because I'm holy. Right? And then also an example of that is by not defiling yourself. Alright, nineteen two. Uh, uh Dusty. Nineteen <clears> two? <throat> yep. Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord, your God, am holy. Okay. Uh, 20 and verse 7. Yeah. Sanctify yourselves, therefore, and be ye holy, for I am the Lord your God. Okay. Be holy. For, why? Because I am holy. Because I am your God and I am holy, so I expect you to be. That's the standard. Perfect righteousness. 100% holiness. And our sin puts us at negative 100%. We're all the way at the bottom. And so Jesus dying for our sin, which is essential, does not make us positively righteous. It just brings us up to zero. So we need more than he died on the cross for our sins. I know what they mean, and we, we take that, but, but you all need to know it's more than that. The Bible says in Romans chapter 4, verse 25, he was delivered up for our trespasses, meaning he died for our sins on the cross, and he was raised for our justification. That is to say that... Um, the, 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 he, he was raised, and in being raised, he, he's, he's, he's giving you also newness of life. You too were raised to newness of life when you believed in the Lord Jesus. And, and nobody ever touches that second part. And so it's really important to emphasize that whenever I get to it with you guys, that we are accepted as not just good enough. We're accepted as righteous, as holy, because... Christ's righteousness is given to you. Christ's righteousness is given to you. The standard that God requires, he also provides in the Lord Jesus. That's the grounds of this justification. It is only for the sake of Christ and his righteousness imputed to us. Um, And and we will uh, address the negative examples that the confession gives in a moment here. But for right now, I want you to look back at chapter 11. And there's this line about, uh, I don't know, a third of the way down to the first paragraph. It says, that we were justified by imputing the obedience and satisfaction of Christ unto them. That's the basis. That's the grounds of your justification. Now there's three words in there. One of them's kind of technical, imputing, imputation, This is not a word that we use in casual conversation. I don't think anybody uh, maybe said this at family dinner recently or something like that. But but maybe you know. You should know what this word means. What does it mean to impute something? Kind of to uh, take out what's in and put in something else. Okay. That's a good good understanding. Anybody else have uh, something else to add to that? To put something onto something? Yeah. To, to credit something to somebody's account, to take it from one and to put it on another. And so what, what we are imputed with is the obedience of Jesus Christ. He was born and he lived 30 some years perfectly fulfilling the law of God, perfectly obeying the law of God. 
Always telling the truth and telling the truth in love. Always uh, promoting and giving life, never taking it away. I, I like to say that every time that you lied, Jesus told the truth on your behalf. Every time you were faithless, he was faithful on your behalf. And you receive credit, you receive by imputation the obedience of Christ. And it also says the satisfaction. That is, of course, the sin-atoning death. And, and the best illustration that I've found for this, this doctrine of imputation it comes from R.C. Sproul's children's book, The Priest with Dirty Clothes. And uh, I'll tell the story real quickly. There's this, there's this priest named Joshua. And he is, he's been summoned to the king's uh, pas- uh, palace to preach his first sermon. And on the way there, he falls off of his donkey and he lands in a big puddle of mud. And he ruins his priestly garb. And he arrives and he gets there and the king says, you cannot stand in my presence and preach dressed like that. Come back next week and we'll try again. And so he goes home and he tries to scrub off the filth from his garments. And he just makes it worse. And he tries to buy a new set of garments. And the guy says, I'm sorry, there's only one per priest. Can't help you. And he finally goes to the prince, the son of the king, and says, what am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to go and preach tomorrow before your dad, and I, I can't stand in his presence dressed like this. And the son says, wear my robes, and I will wear your filthy garments. That is imputation, laying on of the clean righteousness of Christ on you and the laying on of your sin on him. Your sins imputed to him, his righteousness imputed to you. That is the doctrine of imputation. Now, we've really got to fly here with what justification is not. What justification is not. Justification is a legal declaration. It is not an actual change that happens within you. There is a change that happens within you, but that is not your justification. That's sanctification. It's essential. It comes at the same time. It's a different thing. Okay? Uh, And and the reason that this matters, your, your sanctification is not the basis of your justification. This is the teaching of the Roman Catholic Church. That that Christ, uh, the, the word they would use is infuses righteousness into you. Not imputes, but infuses. And on the basis of the level of righteousness that he puts in you, that is the basis on which you are justified. Um, I like to explain it this way. The, the Reformed view of justification says, I'm justified because of what Jesus did for me. The Catholic view of justification is, I'm justified because of what Jesus does in me. We believe Jesus does stuff in you as well. But that is not the basis on which you are justified. Um, Listen to some of this language from the Catholic Catechism. They say, um, Justification is not only the remission of sins, but also sanctification and a renewal of the interior man. They say, Justification detaches man from sin, which contradicts the love of God, and it purifies his heart. What's the problem with that? Is anyone here willing to say that your heart is completely purified of any and all desire to sin? No. I I would hope not. And if you do say that, you're not being honest with yourself. 
But if that's the case, that means you're not justified. You have no peace with God. You have no assurance. It's a big deal because if we believe that our justification, our right standing before God is based on our level of sanctification, then we will never be good enough. We will never be accepted. And yet, praise God, the Bible does not teach that. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, verse 2, Therefore, being justified by faith, justified past tense, we have, present tense, peace with God. You have peace with God because of what Jesus has done for you. And then lastly, what justification is not, I'm saying this intentionally provocatively, so it's going to sound bad, but hear me out. It is not, you're not justified by faith. I said, hear me out. And what I mean, why this is important, is when we just say, I'm justified by faith, which of course I believe in the correct sense of that term, but we don't explain it, what people wind up hearing and thinking is it is the quality or the quantity of my faith that saves me. And that's what I'm trying to argue against. Uh, My former pastor's wife back in Richmond, she spent decades freaking out that her faith wasn't strong enough, that she didn't believe hard enough, that it wasn't sincere enough, and therefore she wasn't saved because she was looking at her faith and saying, there's a lot of improvement that needs to happen here. And that's true for all of us. We all need our faith to grow. But when we think that it is, it is the strength or the quality or something like that of our faith that saves us, we're missing the fact that it's the object of our faith that saves us. It's the Lord Jesus that saves us. Um, by the way, this is why a lot of our, our, our Baptist friends, the Arminian ones, not the Reformed ones, they're much better about this, but the Arminian ones will get baptized multiple times because they believed, but then they backslid And then they really believed, so they got baptized again. And then they backslid again, and then they really, really believed this time, so they did. Because they have this understanding that it is their faith that saves them. No, it's the one your faith unites you to. It's Jesus that saves you. This might be a helpful illustration. It's not perfect, but it's, 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 it's like you're wearing a parachute, You need the straps of that parachute to connect you to the chute that actually saves you. Faith is what connects you to Jesus, and Jesus is the one who saves you. Now, that that said, faith alone is the means by which we are connected to Jesus. You're not connected to him by your works. You're not connected to him by the by the use of by by the eating of the Lord's Supper, by anything other than faith. The Holy Spirit works faith in you, and by that faith unites you to Him. That is what we mean, that's what we understand by by faith alone. It's the faith alone that connects us to Him. And, and I'll just show you this real quick and we'll be done. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 to 10. One of you guys quoted this in your homework summary of this passage. Always bonus points, by the way, on that. If you quote the Bible or quote one of the catechism answers, always does your pastor's heart good. But these prepositions are very, very important. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. 
For by grace you have been saved. Through faith. Saved by the grace, the grace received through faith. And this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God. Both the faith and the grace are the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no man may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And this is the idea that the confession gets at at the end of paragraph 2, where it says that that faith is never alone, but is always accompanied by the other, the other blessings and faith that works by love. Faith that, that seeks to obey God and love others that are in the household of faith. That is, that is the idea here. Now, I've got a little bit of time left. Do we have questions? Because these are, on the one hand, simple, but on the other hand, Super duper important. Yeah, Ethan. Okay, this is about imputation. Yeah. Um, so, like with imputation, is it like he gives us his righteousness and then he he works on putting us in the righteousness together? Like, does that make sense with sanctification? Does. Right. So, so what, what we would say is imputation is Christ giving you all at once. His righteousness and taking upon himself all at once all of the penalty that was due to your sin. Sanctification is the work that he then actually conforms you to his image. It's very important also that we note um, the, the, the teaching of Paul in Galatians 5 is crystal clear. If you are trusting in anything other than the finished work of Jesus Christ for your justification, you're trusting in anything other than the finished work of Jesus for your right standing before God. He says, you have fallen away from grace and Christ is of no effect to you. And the comparison that he uses is circumcision, the covenant sign that God gave to mark people out. And, and if that applies to, to an explicit command of God that, 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 that we are to um, bear the marks of the covenant in the New Testament baptism, but nonetheless, certainly it applies to trusting in our own holiness, our own righteousness, because it's not good enough. My holiness, even though it's growing every day, is not good enough. But Jesus' is, and he gave me that, and that's sufficient. So imputation is Christ giving you his righteousness, laying it on you, being clothed in his holiness. Good question. Others? You guys understand what I mean by not by faith, but also by faith? We got Okay. It's not your faith that saves you, but it's what your faith gets you. Good. Well, let's go ahead and pray then, and we'll be done. God in heaven, I give thanks to you for these, my young friends. I thank you, Lord, for the clear teaching of your word. And I pray that they would receive and rest upon Christ alone for salvation as he is freely offered in the gospel. And Lord, that they would know that everything needed, everything necessary, everything that could be done, has been done for them to have right standing before you. Because you sent your son, the Lord Jesus, to live the perfect sinless life that we are called to live and have failed. And that he died the death that we deserved to die and could not. And it is on that basis alone that we are justified. Father, I thank you for sending him. I thank you for sending your spirit to unite us to him. And I pray that you would draw us ever nearer to him. We ask in Christ's name. Amen.